Did you know that right now there's a group of people running the business of their dreams? They are respected leaders in their field, working with clients they love and serving them profitably. Now, are they famous? Depends on who you ask. They're not signing autographs at the grocery store or taking selfies every five minutes. They're not trying to be everywhere on social media. Yet when they show up at trade events and conferences, they are recognized and sought after. They're the ones everyone else looks up to. They're the next generation of thought leaders in their space. So what's their secret? Well, they've become famously influential to the right people, and so can you. Today, we'll dig into the story of one of these leaders and deconstruct how they became micro-famous. You won't just come away inspired, you'll come away with a new strategy and a new way of thinking. So while your competition is scattered, chaotic, and chasing every shiny object, you can move forward with confidence and clarity. I'm your host, Matt Johnson, agency founder and author of Microfamous. And if you're ready to become famously influential to the right people, let's get started. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. And today's question we're answering in this episode is, what do the biggest and best companies in the world do differently when it comes to marketing? Because our guest today, Tony Guarnacci, at one point ran the Google Agency of the Year and has spent over $400 million in ad spend with Google. He's worked with a dozen Fortune 500 companies like Ford. He's also worked with 10,000 small businesses and everything in between. And really, really interesting entrepreneurial journey. has a lot to say about resiliency, um, including in his new book, small steps. So we talk about the three keys to building resiliency in crisis, which is really important right now. We also talk about his model for growth factors. There are six growth factors and really which two we need to focus on first. So really great conversation. If you're curious, if you're missing out on the world of what big companies are doing and you feel like there are secrets being held within the biggest companies on what they do differently with marketing, you are right. And Tony is going to share his perspective on what those secrets are. And I'm really excited for you to hear this episode. And uh, Tony's working on his book right now. Right now, you can go get the Small Steps uh, Manifesto uh, and basically just a free download. So he mentions that in the flow of the conversation. And uh, so make sure to check that out. Get your hands on that information because I really enjoyed it. That's one of the things that, uh, that we talked about on the conversation. And uh, let's jump into it. This is Tony Guarnacci. Officially, Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Pleasure <laughs> to be here. Uh, I'm super pumped to talk. We, uh, we connected. We, I, I got the manifesto. We're going to talk about some of the things you pulled out from there because you've got a book in the works, yes. but you've been kind of putting the manifesto out and yes. getting some really good feedback because it's resonating with people that, that are going through some really interesting things right now. We've talked about it. You know, we're recording this in July of 2020. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit. Uh, give me just kind of your overview of what resiliency is. What does that mean to you? Yeah, no, happy to answer that. So resiliency is really the ability to kind of with, uh, withstand adversity. And so really the idea comes from of, of my book, Small Steps to Grow Profits, comes from my mother. So my mother grew up in, in, a, in a situation similar to today. So back in the late 1930s, there was another epidemic going through this country. Uh, it was called polio. And unfortunately, at the age of just nine months, my mother contracted polio and was not able to walk until she was 14 years old. And so like today, she was quarantined, not able to see her family, uh, occasionally see her sisters, uh, occasionally see her parents, not able to really touch them even, uh, not able to walk until she was 14 years old. Uh, and, and even back then they had ventilators, they called them iron lungs. So if you ever heard the term iron lung, that's yeah. where that came from. And so growing up, I always asked my mother, how in the world did you overcome that? Like, mm -hmm. that's an incredibly difficult time. As difficult as today, you know, they went through that then it was mostly children. And mm -hmm. so 
the lesson I always learned that I carry to this day is the power of breaking things down, which okay. is where the, the idea of small steps comes from. And mm-hmm. so that was the lesson I learned from her and how it was applied to her with, uh, with the hospital would be they would first have them working on pottery to grow their, their nervous system and their strength and then doing some swimming and finally taking small steps day by day until you know, she was able to achieve her dream, which was simply to wear high heels. You know, I'm sorry, many people probably take that for granted. For her, that was a huge accomplishment. And yeah. so that was something I've always learned through the ups and downs is to take small steps. Wow. Yeah, that is, that is an incredible story. And, uh, and, and of course, we, you know, um, uh, I've got a good friend whose who's uncle had that issue growing up. And it really fueled his, his dad's growth in, in business. It really fed his entire point of view on things. Because yeah. he used to say that, you know, when I, when I go out to find customers, I treat them as if, as if I have the cure to polio. Yeah. And I go out with that intent to serve. And yeah, so I like that. That just, it shaped the way people behaved and, and their entire belief system about the world. It's really interesting how people from that generation responded to it yeah. versus how we respond to it, which is a whole other discussion. But, but the resiliency, so the ability to withstand adversity. Yeah. So when you see and you talk to people that are going through some things right now, uh, obviously we're going through kind of rolling shutdowns. You've got small businesses that, you know, some of them just when, when a shutdown happens, they can't operate at all. Some of them are able to work from home and people have yep. been able to shift that. Um, is there anything that you see in common with the people that have done really well during this time versus the ones that have struggled? Yeah, well, another lesson I learned, and this was more from working with some of the best companies in the world, but it's not just about taking small steps. There's really three keys to those steps. The first step to understand is what step to take. That okay. you want to understand how to take those steps and then finally, you want to actually take those steps, take action. And usually when I work with small businesses or anyone that's struggling, because this is a life lesson. It's not just a business lesson. Most people focus on the how. How do I you know, run a 5K? How, how do I do SEO? How do I do podcasting? Without first asking the question of what do I want to accomplish? And even at a more deeper level, why do I want to accomplish it? The why is what kind of sustains you through the adversity. And the what tells you exactly what you need to do. Because how many of us have wasted time, effort, or money on the wrong things? Yeah. I mean, I know I certainly have. I've hired the wrong people. I've done the wrong campaigns. Mm-hmm. And you ask yourself, why? And most people don't, don't take that exercise. So they just kind of go around the gerbil wheel again and again. And what I find the best companies do is they really focus on the what first. They have a strategy. They have a plan. They know exactly what they want to accomplish. And then the how supports it. And then I was having this conversation with my wife the other day. I was helping, she happens to be a doula. She had a friend that's a midwife that wanted some consulting advice. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I have a pretty good rate, but as a favor to her, I did it for free. I told her exactly what she needed to do. I told her how to do it, but guess what? It's still not activated. She didn't take the action. <laughs> right. So you know, at the end of the day, you still have to actually take the steps. No matter how valuable the information, if you don't do it, then it's pointless. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's, there's a lot we could say about that one. But uh, all right, so I want to go back because you mentioned working with big companies and that's part of your mission in life is to, is to I think as you put it, democratize marketing, right? Yes. Which is take the things that you've been able to learn from what huge companies do and what they do right and right. then bring that knowledge to the small business world. And you mentioned one of the things, which is they start with what? Yes. And so they start with the goal in mind before they get to the how and that's, that's I, I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, is it a strategic before tactical? Is that, yes. is that how you put it? 
Absolutely. So okay. if you look at another story to share is um, back in the 1980s, there was the Olympic USA Olympic uh, hockey team. Mm-hmm. So we were trying, we were a bunch of scruffy guys trying to take <laughs> on the Soviets. So if you mm-hmm. ever watched the miracle on ice movie, this is what the story is all about. Yeah. And the Soviets dominated. They were playing, you know, for five, five times in a row, I believe they won the gold medal. Mm-hmm. And so the United States basically didn't have a shot. Yeah. But then what the coach realized was that the approach that they, they took was completely different from the Soviets. So they changed how they approached things. And that changed everything. So if you see the movie, hopefully it's not a spoiler alert, but it's been out for like 20 years. But the United <laughs> States won, right? Why? Because they changed their approach. Or another way to think about it, they changed their strategy. So knowing what you want to accomplish and thinking about the strategy of how you're going to do that mm-hmm. can completely change the game. Yeah, agreed. All right. So, so you've got your what, your how, and then actually taking action. Yeah. So that's your results flywheel. Now I want to get into, because this is the stuff that you cover in your, your manifesto, which is phenomenal, by the way. Thank I want to get into the growth, found, uh, growth compounding, because I think we're actually looking at the diagram of it in the background there if yes, people are watching yes, on the video. So let's go through uh, what those six things are, and then we might dive into a couple of them. Sure. Yeah. So there's six factors that I found universally drive any business. So I've been blessed to work with the top companies in the world, but I've also been fortunate to work with with 10,000 small businesses across hundreds of industries. And mm-hmm. so what I found is there's six common factors that drive growth no matter what the business is. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you're better off looking outside of your own industry for innovation to grow. Yeah. And so those six factors start with number one, your market, making sure you're targeting the appropriate market. Secondly, your products and services, otherwise known as your offerings. So really understand exactly what you're going to provide I've worked with a number of small businesses that haven't defined that. Part of it mm. is because they haven't defined their market. Part of it is because they're desperate. They'll take business from anywhere. Yeah. The more specific you are, the more success you'll have. So that's yeah. factor number two. Factor number three is your value proposition, which answers the question, why would someone want to work with you as opposed to anyone else? And at the end of the day, that's the most critical factor because people buy based on your value relative to their other options. And, and really, if you look at it like a bridge, your goal as a business person and as a marketer is to take someone from where they are today to where they want to be. That's why I call the results bridge and the distance between those two reflects your value yeah. and relative to your costs. So that's value. Factor number three is how many buyers you get. This is new blood. And so this is where most businesses, in my, in my experience, focus. How do I get okay. new leads? Yep. How do I get new sales? But the real magic is in factors six and seven. Factor six, or, or five and six. Five is how you um, increase the lifetime value of each of those buyers. Mm-hmm. And then factor number six is how do you get loyalty? How do you get those buyers coming back again and again? And how do you get them to drive referrals on behalf of your business? That's the formula. Any business can be reflected as a formula. Agreed. Yeah, I love it. Uh, so what's the part where, like for you, like a, as a consultant, let's put it this way. Yeah. If you work with a small business, you said that most of the impact is in steps five and six. Is that where you personally want to spend most of your time? Or do you have to back up and get some of the other things straightened out before you can even get to the part where you feel like you can hit those really high impact? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. It depends on the stage of the business. Okay. So if you're an established business and you have traction, you're getting mm-hmm. results, and you just really want to grow and scale, mm-hmm. you're better off working backwards. So maximizing your loyalty, 
and your referrals uh, and your in the lifetime value. If you're a startup, if you're in crisis mode, if you're small and you, and you really haven't figured out your business model and don't have any traction, then you actually want to go around the loop. So you want to start with your markets and your products and services. So it really depends yeah. on the stage. And the reality is every business can optimize any of those factors. Yeah, very cool. And and who do you envision, like when you, when you think about making the impact that you want to make as yeah. a consultant, as a speaker, as a coach, um, where would you like to catch people? And in an ideal world, what would you like to spend the most of your time working with them on? Yeah, okay. Well, we kind of hit on this before, but there's really three kinds of businesses I serve. Mm-hmm. Number one are businesses that want to scale. Okay. So that, that is really helping them put fire onto what they're doing and help them get to a whole nother level, whether it's six figures to seven, seven to eight, eight to nine, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I've worked at all those levels. Uh, the other area are businesses that are stagnant. So they're just not moving. Maybe they're a second generation business. There's no passion. They're trying to figure out, you know, how to get out of a rut essentially. Mm-hmm. And then the third category which is what I'm finding more and more today, unfortunately, are businesses that are in crisis. Yeah. So these are businesses that are losing revenue. Uh, you know, they're, they're at risk of going out of business. Or I, the other area I put in that category are startups. Because if you're right. a startup, you're essentially in crisis because <laughs> yes. you haven't figured out any of this stuff. <laughs> you're just so in permanent are, crisis mode. Yeah, yeah. totally. Well, those are the three kinds of businesses. Uh, and so, you know, I have three business models. I have a agency, which is more done for you for the larger companies. I have uh, a training company, which is more for businesses that are in, um, you know, crisis and startups where they can learn on their own and lower price. And then in the middle, I have my coaching, which is for businesses that are kind of stuck or or even want to scale. Love it. Yeah. And and that's a model I think is, especially in the agency world is getting more common. Uh, I see a lot of people moving towards that where they used to be fully done for you. Now they're moving into, you know, either coaching, consulting, or they're packaging their knowledge up into training products. Um, So I think that's, uh, I mean, I I like that model. I would consider that a hybrid agency or a hybrid consulting model. Um, What's, uh, where would you like to spend most of your time just within, within those three things? Do you have the agency kind of scaled out to where you can spend a lot, like less of your time there and more of your time in the consulting and speaking and writing area? Yes, exactly. I'm, I'm a systems uh, nut. <laughs> <So> I, <laughs> Good. I, I have everything. Yeah. I have every operational. I actually, we're one of the few agencies in the country that have a credit based model. So you don't buy particular services. It's all credit based and you can shift your, your, your budget accordingly based on your needs. So we're no. one of the, it's one, very innovative, but it's one of okay. the, we're probably one of 20 or 30 agencies in the United States that are doing that, or maybe even the world. So that's, that's kind of the agency. So I, I honestly am not focused on the agency. Mm-hmm. Because I really want to focus on growing Results Train, which is my training company, and Results Club, which is my uh, coaching. Gotcha. Okay. So, so just because you're talking to a lot of you know, like yeah. fellow coaches and consultants right. and agency owners here, so tell me a little bit about what what the strategy was for. Uh, so you you wrote the manifesto first. The manifesto is being fleshed out and expanded into the book. Yes. So where do you see the book fitting into the business, and what does it? Does it attract people at the lowest rung who might eventually get into the coaching and consulting, or does it hit at people that need your coaching and consulting right away and then just kind of catch other people by, by, by accident, essentially? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say I always, I'm a big fan of modeling. 
And so my system is almost entirely based on modeling. And I would say I modeled EOS. So if you're familiar with Gina Wick, I love EOS. EOS, that's kind of the model I've gone after. So yeah. trying to get it where it, it's a book that will attract a lot of coaching business, but essentially uh, my goal is to license it so other coaches can use this so I can impact as many businesses as possible. So I would say longer term, even short term, it's more of a Gina Wickman type model. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting. I got, uh, did you see that email that, that went out the other day that Gino is looking for the next uh, leader of EOS? I did not see that. I did uh, not see that. Yeah. So Mike, Mike Payton is, uh, is moving on or something like that. And they're looking for the next person. And so he gave like a lot of the stats uh, for EOS, like how many implementers they have. And yeah, they're, they are, they're rocking and rolling. They're, they're got a it. Yeah, really yeah, great business. Yeah. So I love that. So, uh, so that makes sense. Um, so the book is basically going to drive demand for uh, essentially all of it. You're hoping to yes. reach kind of a wider audience uh, of business owners and things like that. Um, so let's go back to the, just the, the lessons you've learned from the agency, the world that we can kind of keep in mind that apply to what you're doing, right? Yeah. So you've got all this insight from running, I think, what would you say, $400 million worth of <laughs> Google yeah, pay-per-click or something? Yeah, I had, I had Google's agency of the year, uh, partner of the year in 2009. Yeah. And that was a function of basically spending a lot of money <laughs> and, beta, <laughs> and beta testing the product. So I actually okay. launched Google Radio. So Google had radio at one point. And I believe I was the first one to beta test YouTube ads. No uh, way. Yeah. So that was Holy pretty cool. cow. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of YouTube ads, by the way? Yeah. And they have a ton of, uh, of opportunity because there's not as much, I mean, the call, it's like anything. It's a function of the level of competition and, and how many people are there. And what, so I think the relative value is pretty high. It's a little mm -hmm. bit more work, right? Because you have to do is video. It? Yeah. So well, that, yeah. That barrier of entry always is a benefit if you can go into that space. When right. I launched YouTube ads, it was a disaster though. Like literally <laughs> when you, when you launched it, it was very, I wish I had screen captures, but it's very, very archaic. You literally, there was no call to action. So you can have an ad, but it was almost like a banner ad, but you couldn't yeah. click on it. Okay. Like, yeah. So you literally were running ads and you couldn't click on it. So that was kind of fun. And Google radio was crazy too. Google radio was huge, hugely popular. I never heard of that. What, what was yeah. it? Yeah. It was, so basically we could buy terrestrial radio for pennies on the dollar. And so what, what Google basically did was a, it was an arbitrage play. Mm -hmm. Where they would, where where you could buy remnant ads through a marketplace through Google, and we had at the time I was running literally thousands of dealers' uh, ad campaigns, and we were running through Google Radio, and the, the we were getting these dealers, you know, five dollar spots that should have been five hundred dollars. It was ridiculous. No so wow. it was very cool. And then, real it was the funniest thing because um, Google invited me to a party they had in New York City at their headquarters there. And there at that headquarters, they introduced me to Pandora and uh, who else was there? I don't know if Spotify was around yet, but a bunch of radio, radio um, companies. Mm -hmm. I thought that's really weird. Why in the world do they have me in a room with essentially all their competitors? Okay. And the next day, um, I'm looking in the paper. It says Google shuts down Google Radio. <laughs> and so they basically introduced us because they knew they're getting away yeah. and they want to kind of leave us stranded. With that. Absolutely. So. Oh, the vicissitudes of Google. Of Google. Goodness. Yeah. Um, okay. So one of the things that that caught me. So it immediately caught my eye about your point of view and the statement about you that sets you apart, which is you're trying to help people 
learn and kind of this Robin Hood approach of taking the marketing that works for big companies and yeah. let small companies learn from it, sure. which is funny because I, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of Dan Kennedy who, who kind oh, of yeah. made his name on essentially coming out and saying, stop imitating the big companies. But yeah. it sounds like big companies have learned and we're not talking about big brand advertising with no call to action. This is right. big money direct marketing to the consumer, yeah. right? Is that, Absolutely. am I understanding that correctly? Okay. So, so it doesn't contradict anything Dan Kennedy said. What's no, happened over Dan the last Kennedy. 20 years has big, has big companies have learned a lot from the direct marketing yeah. community and just put that whole thing on steroids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would say the biggest difference is, is um, well, in all three areas, the execution, the planning and the strategy, but the biggest ones is really the strategy and the planning. Okay. So when I'm at, when I was at the corporate level, you know, we would meet for months, uh, we'd have a spreadsheet with like 30 tabs saying, okay, this is what, how much money we're going to make, how we're going to make it down to the penny. Here's the mm -hmm. contingency. If it doesn't mm -hmm. average small business owner wings it, you yeah. know, they come up with a plan. They see something on the internet. Oh, I got to do that. So it's shiny object syndrome and they really aren't getting anywhere. And then they, they kind of blame, well, actually my pain point in my agency was they blame the agency. How come <laughs> yes. now this is working. Right? right. So really all this was created, honestly, after my agency, I started my agency first and I found out that I was totally shell-shocked to be honest. I started the really? agency. I was like, Oh, this is just going to work. You know, it's going to, it's going to be just like, and then you work with small companies, you know, I'm, I'm talking like two, $3,000 budget a month. And you realize they don't have a clue. Like they have right. no foundation. They're not marketing ready. Like yeah. I can't help you if you don't know who your buyers are, if you're mark and they just want to add fire to a flame that's non-existent, you know, they, yes. they, and so that was what really drove me to get into the consulting and the training because I, I saw that gap in, in strategy and planning. And that was really yeah. what I wanted to fill. Yeah. Very similar to what, to why I wrote the book. Cause I, I saw the same thing with podcasting and yeah, like it, no, no marketing strategy is so magical on its own that yeah. you cannot have any of the marketing fundamentals down and it works. And I think that's what a lot of small business owners expect to happen, which yeah. is a shame. Um, yeah, that's, that's frequently <laughs> you just expected to, uh, just launch it and it will just work with small yeah. business owners. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's absolutely, it's, it's an insane thing. And, uh, I'm curious in the, like when big companies go and, and they're working in the, they go from the strategy to execution because I'm in this phase myself and I don't want to make those mistakes. So, so I'm in the phase of the agency where I, you know, referrals, good. I know exactly who the clients are. We're podcasting, you know, I'm, I've good strategic referral network. So I've got referrals on steroids. We've got a relationship system, like all that's good. Um, I'm not interested in being on, on, organic social media all the time. And most of my clients are the same way, mm -hmm. right? So then the next option for that beyond maximizing podcasting for everything you can do, the next step is, okay, well, you add fuel to the fire by going to paid traffic. Yeah. So here's the, th the first thing that most people run into. Um, I've got a lot of clients who are very strategic, but they don't know what they don't know. So they get right. into the process and they start iterating. And it's hard to know sometimes if you've got the messaging wrong, or if you've got the tactics of running the ads wrong. So I'm curious from a big company's perspective, how uh, like is one of the things that they're better at, are they iterating faster? Are they testing many, 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 many more variables? Or do they do the fundamentals of the strategy better so that by the time they get into the tactical part, they just know, they better understand their customer. They have a better sense of what the messaging is. I'm curious if you have an opinion on what they're better at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, they have a huge advantage. And what I've noticed with a lot of people, even agencies, and this is what I'm doing. Why am I on these podcasts and everything else? I, the, the key thing is your brand and really your, your authority. 
So if you have pictures on there and you're staying next to, you know, uh, well, Dan Kennedy's not alive now, right? But if you're standing next to Dan Kennedy, you're standing next to Joe Polish and you're standing mm-hmm. there, you know, that people will buy because they already have the credibility. If, yeah. you, if you do, like personally, what have I been doing? I'm working on my PR. I'm working on, you know, working alliances and, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, all these areas to get my name out there because at the end of the day, that's what they're going to, to buy for. So that's the huge mm-hmm. advantage the corporate uh, corporations have because they could do the same campaign. I've done this. When I was doing payroll ad campaigns for ADP, you know, their cost per click could be dollars. If you do the same campaign for a local payroll company, it's like $14 because nobody's because it's a function of how many people are clicking on it. So the the business owner has to be much, much smarter, Uh, but kind of go back to Dan Kenny, since you're talking about him, I don't know if he had this complete model or if mine's slightly different, but really uh, it comes down to three things, your audience, your offer and your message. Mm-hmm. It's those three. And if one of those is off and you might say, oh, it's just three things. It's three to the power of, of three, which is nine. That's assuming you just have one offer. If mm-hmm. you do, you know, two yeah. offers and, and three audiences, I mean, all of a sudden it's exponentially, it could be hundreds of variations. So how do you know? Well, that's where your multivariate testing comes into play for big enough, big companies advantages they have is they're getting millions of page views. So they can, to your point, find out very quickly, small business owner can't do that. Mm-hmm. So they have less, you know, times at bat because they have a smaller budget. So a lot of those things are working against small business owners, which goes to the point of why they have to be even more diligent with their, their strategy and their planning. Right. Because they yeah. don't have the margin for error. You know, yeah. they, they just don't have it. So. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what we're running into is just, it, it's, it's interesting going through the process of making, making paid traffic work because you, you have to start, you're essentially blindly testing a lot of different variables and the better you are uh, at figuring out what works before you go into the paid, the better. Um, are big companies, are they using their, you mentioned the millions of page views and you've got an established brand, you've got an established website. Do they, do they have a better time starting their messaging with warm audiences, sort of like warm traffic? Do they have a better sense of what works because they're getting enough warm traffic or organic traffic to know what works before they go to the cold market or are they like just like all of us they're going to the cold audience testing things essentially for the first time yeah i mean i'm trying to say this nicely but they're no smarter than the rest of us <laughs> uh, uh, okay yeah, uh, because i i mean i literally remember being at, at harvard uh-huh. speaking at a a uh like a, a summit and there was like gosh 200 cmos of of huge companies like hasbro and you know um gosh, uh, Oracle, big companies like that. Mm-hmm. And they, what I call the marketing revolution, they've been impacted by the marketing revolution as much as we have. And what's the marketing revolution? Well, in the 19, uh, you know, thirties, forties, it was very simple. You place an ad in the paper, boom, you get business. There's no competition. Yeah. You go into broadcast. There's even more, you know, stuff going on. You got TV, you got radio, there's more and more channels. Mm-hmm. Then you get to the internet, you need a directory to organize all this. Then you need search engines. Then it gets even more complicated. You need Google. And then what happens next in the revolution? You have, uh, you know, social media. And there's all this stuff going on with that. People are creating their own content. Then it's all those sites on the mobile phone. And so it's even more, you know, speed and more content. And then to the point today, everybody's online. And you're not just competing with your competitors. You're competing for attention. So you're competing yeah. against Netflix. And you're competing yeah. against YouTube and all these brands. So what does that mean? Essentially, the marketing revolution has created three problems. The first one is fragmentation. Mm-hmm. You know, you used to have two or three channels. Now you have millions. 
right? So yeah. where do you actually advertise in the first place? Problem number two is once you get through there, how do you break through the clutter, which goes to your messaging? How do you actually break through and stand out? And then th- hurdle number three is technology. Even if you have all this figured out, technically, how do you execute it? Mm-hmm. And so that's a huge problem at the small business level. But even at the enterprise level, it's a huge problem because a lot of times, you know, sales and marketing and, t- and the tech team don't get along. It takes a lot longer to execute. So their, their, their speed is so slow. That actually gives a huge advantage to the smaller players if they can be really specific in what they want to accomplish, which is, again, planning yeah. and strategy. Yeah, and that, that's what I'm trying to do with our paid traffic strategy is – if, if, the, if the name of the game, because I'm always thinking about messaging, I'm always thinking about the fit and I'm always talking to my ideal clients. I have a pretty fair, I, you know, pretty good detailed idea of who my client is. But I think one place where small business owners can easily get buried and then not, not do it very well is the speed of iteration. How many different ads, how many different strategies or tactics, I should say, yeah. are, you, are, are you trying? Yeah. Uh, because that can get o- easily overwhelming. I mean, for me, I have a person that's a specialist working with me that implements and executes the stuff we want to experiment with right. specifically so I can focus just on the strategic part of what's the messaging and right. who are we trying to reach? Cause yeah, it's just, it's really tough for one person to do all of it. Um, which I know that's why your agency exists and that's why the coaching and stuff exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the value of, of what you're doing, well, first of all, it's incredible, but like specifically for somebody that wants to like start scaling up with paid traffic, if they get in with someone like you that understands the strategic level, yeah. then they can go and they can let a little bit of that go and, and let you have some of that burden and then yeah. go focus on implementing and speed up how fast your testing is. Because then if you can test fast, you can find the answers fast. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and like I say, the first, the most important thing is your audience. The example I always give when I, when I was a kid, I remember uh, riding a bike with my parents on Block Island. It's a little island off the coast of Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. We're going and it's a hot day in the summer, kind of like it is now. And lo and behold, I don't know whose fault it was, but someone forgot to pack the water. And so okay. we make it to the end to a beach and we were late. We were willing to pay like 20, 30 bucks for a jug of water. <laughs> now, what is the difference? You can buy water at the beach where you're, you're, you're parched for $30. You can buy it in a restaurant, a high-end restaurant, maybe $10. You can buy it at the grocery store for 99 cents. What's the difference? Mm-hmm. Your audience. Yeah. So you're, you always want a, a hungry audience more than you want the most amazing offer in the messaging. So if I had to rank it, number one is your, your market, your audience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then you have your offer, which you want to be compelling. And then it's got to be, goes back to your value proposition. And then your messaging comes last. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And then the, uh, the, just like how you're getting the message to them, uh, exactly come, comes last. Yeah. Love it. Okay. So we covered a lot from the manifesto. We covered yeah. actually more ground than I expected us to, cause I figured there would be more rabbit trails and stuff that we would go down. So I'm really, really psyched that we got as much, uh, in as we did. So how do people, uh, well, the best way for them is to go grab the manifesto. So where do they do that? Cause then they're going to be able to stay in touch and they'll know when the book comes out. Yes, absolutely. Go to the small steps, manifesto.com. It'll take you right to the manifesto. There's no form or anything. I want people to get the information and, uh, you know, you can learn everything I'm teaching through that. And then eventually the book when it comes out in September. Love it. Anything, uh, and what are you looking forward to other than, uh, so you've got the book coming out. Are you going to be speaking later in the year or early, early next year? Yeah, actually, yes. I'm working on a massive virtual summit in Mm -hmm. September. That's going to bring together, uh, literally tens of thousands of businesses uh, my goal is to reach a, my mission is to reach a million businesses by 2026. Mm-hmm. And I'm, what I'm doing is I'm partnering with thousands of chambers across the country 
to distribute all this information and partnering with companies that will sponsor. Uh, once I get to a certain level, I'm going to be you know, going back to Google and Facebook and all these um, people I have relationships with mm-hmm. to kind of uh, grow it. So I'm super excited about that. And then in the Very short cool. term, I have the Results Club, which is my membership where people can join and ask me questions about literally anything they want. And right now, for the next two months, I'm doing it for just a dollar so I can get people in. And honestly, one of my goals for that is to get a lot of raving fans. So when my book comes out, it'll give me some great reviews. Yeah, exactly. Love that strategy. That's awesome. Well, dude, this is awesome. I really, really appreciate your time. And, and hopefully the book launch goes phenomenally well. And uh, I hope people get into your world and, and get learning from you. Because I, yeah, I, I love the manifesto. It was really fantastic. And uh, I'm just the overall, like I knew as soon as we connected, the, the, the overall idea of small steps, like there's even a chapter in, in my own book that's very similar to that. So I was like, all right, I got to have this guy out. We got to talk about that. So, awesome. Very cool. Thank you, <laughs> thank you so, so much. much. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Micro Famous Podcast. If you're ready to become famously influential to the right people, connect with us at getmicrofamous.com. It's the best way to take the next step to implementing the Micro Famous strategy in your business so you can attract an audience, build influence, and become the Micro Famous leader you're meant to be. And we'll see you on the next episode.